As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, it's Andy, and before we get to a great set of Dear Andy questions from you guys on a Dear Andy episode... I just wanted to correct one thing I said. The the first question is about the Calvin Ridley case. He's been suspended by the NFL. And I misspoke when I was discussing what he is accused of. Uh, Calvin Ridley, I said, placed a bet. And actually, he placed three bets, according to the NFL. Uh, Calvin himself got on Twitter and said it was for $1,500 total. And I misspoke and said it was one bet for $1,500 total. It's actually... According to the NFL, three bets. According to Calvin Early, $1,500 total. Small detail in the grand scheme of things, but that does matter. And also, one other thing I didn't mention in that answer that I did want to bring up is Brian Flores accusing Stephen Ross, the Dolphins owner, of offering money so that the Dolphins could tank and get a higher draft pick a few years ago. That obviously would also require a pretty harsh suspension. I would think if that could be proven that the other owners would probably have to force Steven Ross to sell the team. Now, I don't know how much of a punishment that is exactly because he would get lots of money for the Dolphins, and so he would still get lots of money, but he would not be allowed to be an NFL owner anymore. I would think that would be the level of punishment required if that were true. Now, they've got to prove it, but you'll see when we get into that answer, we're, we're talking about Basically, not just the punishment itself, but how that compares to other punishments the NFL doles out. And I, I, I think quite a few of you guys would have been going, wait, what about Stephen Ross? Well, Stephen Ross, I would imagine, would also be punished as harshly as the NFL could punish him. But in his particular case, the harshest punishment also involves him getting gobs and gobs of money. So there's that. But... Now it's time to go to your questions. It's another Dear Andy show. I, I, I just love the fact that, that you guys are so passionate about this stuff. And you know, it, it's, it's great for me to know what you want to know because that helps shape the show and, and figure out who we need to bring on as guests and who we need to talk to. Uh, but I, I really like it also when you come to me with questions that are kind of ripped from the headlines. I don't want to sound like a Law & Order episode, but... I was thinking the same thing today 
and a reader slash listener named Ben pops in with this question. And it's a really interesting one. And he asked, when with the Calvin Ridley news, I was thinking, the next City College of New York style point shaving scandal is coming in the next four years to some American sport. The gambling penetration and profits make it inevitable. If it were to happen in college football, what would it look like? And in parentheses, Ben says, I actually think football is the least likely sport for it to happen, but nothing is going on in CFB right now. So my question might get answered. Well, you're right, Ben. Your question is going to get answered. And, you know, so for those who didn't hear, Calvin Ridley, the Atlanta Falcons receiver, has been suspended by the NFL indefinitely. He can reapply for admission in a year for betting on the Falcons. And, and Ridley has said on Twitter on Monday, he said that he placed one $1,500 bet. And it was when the, the reporting has come out that it was when the very brief period when Hard Rock had online betting in Florida. And that that kind of got shut down. They're still, I live in Florida. They're still trying to figure out whether they want to allow online betting, that sort of thing. There was a loophole that that allowed this to go up for a little while. He placed a bet. He got suspended. The NFL came down hard and, and it produced a really interesting set of debates where why suspend him so harshly for this when there are people who, uh, you know, are getting convicted of domestic violence or uh, stealing things or do, doing worse and getting suspended for less. And I'm not saying this is right, but I'm telling you this is why. The reason he was suspended so harshly is this messes with the NFL's money. You can't mess with the NFL's money and get away with it, is, is what they're saying. And, and what I mean by that is not just that the NFL has deals with gambling entities. Heck, you're going to hear a BetMGM ad in this show. So full disclosure, we're taking that money too. Everybody in sports is. Everybody. And it's not that they care that you're saying they're hypocrites because they're taking money with one hand and then suspending Calvin Ridley for using that product with the other hand. It's that the NFL has to be harsh with this stuff because the one thing that could bring down, because think, think about the NFL. The NFL is the most powerful league in American sports. It's the most lucrative league in American sports. It's I, I'm not entirely sure what the cricket league in India makes. I, I, the English Premier League is a more powerful financial entity than the NFL, but there's not much else that competes with it in the world of sports. The one thing that can bring it down is if the public suddenly thought every game was fixed. If the public suddenly thought the players were fixing the games or the coaches were fixing the games or the officials, the referees were fixing the games. That belief that the game is on the up and up is the most important thing for a sports league, whether it's the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, college football, college basketball, all of those things. If the game is not perceived to be on and its perception, that's the key here. All of this is perception. So if it's not perceived to be on the up and up, then people aren't going to watch. And you go, okay, well, what? we're not going to stop watching the NFL. Well, maybe you might if you thought it was rigged, or if there was proof it was rigged. So the NFL, it's sort of like when Disney sends – 8 million cease and desist letters to an elementary school that has a mural of Mickey Mouse on the wall. 
I'm I'm aggregating several real things that happen. I I don't know if specifically they have wallpapered a, a Mickey Mouse mural at an elementary school with cease and desist letters, but that is the sort of thing they do. Why? Because they're protecting their trademark. They have to do that or they can't defend it in court. It's not exactly the same thing legally, but in the court of public opinion, the NFL, the NBA, college football, college basketball, they have to vigorously defend against the idea that the games are rigged. They can't let that become the pervasive notion. Otherwise, their business goes under. Some other league will come along and say, well, we're not rigged and, and we can prove it because that's the one thing that can bring them down. So that is why they're responding so harshly. Now, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just telling you that's why. And if it were my business, that's probably what I'd do too because you can't risk killing the golden goose. That's that's really all there is to it. Now, as for Ben's question, he's talking about the, the City College of New York scandal. It's a point-shaving scandal involving the City College of New York basketball team, which won the, the NIT in 1950. And this was when the NIT was the biggest tournament going. And so they were essentially the national champs. You know, they 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 beat Kentucky in the second round. They go on and win the whole tournament. The following season, they had several players who were caught shaving points. And it was a massive scandal. Uh, this was a team that played its home games in a packed Madison Square Garden. Now, why was it packed? Well, a lot of the reason why the folks at Madison Square, Madison Square Garden had money on the game. And you had organized crime running gambling in New York City at the time. And there, there were a lot of layers to this. That was a huge scandal. Obviously, the Black Sox scandal in 1919, huge scandal involving a team, you know, a Major League Baseball team, the World Series. The last college point shaving scandal that, that I remember generating massive headlines, you had Arizona State in 1994, and I believe Headache Smith was the player. And he got in deep with the campus bookie. He owed him 10 grand. And so this bookie calls one of his guys up the chain and says, hey, I, I got a guy. I got a player who's into me for 10 grand, has no way to pay me. I think we can fix some games. And so basically they did. They would give Headache the number. He would make sure Arizona State won by less than the number. And, and it, it, it's interesting because they got a little greedy. They basically, you know, they did it. I think they did it for four games and got the six, you know, got the outcome they were looking for. Got they, they, And remember, this is not a point total. This is a point spread. So this is saying you're going to win, but you're going to win by less than this, which is, I think, kind of tricky to pull off. And, and we, we can talk a little bit more about that in a, in a bit. But they got greedy. And basically, they went and tried to, I believe it was the fifth game they tried to fix was Washington was coming in. And Washington was just god-awful that year. And... They just couldn't, they did not rely on Washington being this terrible and Arizona state just dump truck Washington. But that day there was so much money coming in on Washington that the, the people who make the line in Las Vegas got very, very suspicious because Las Vegas is a big city, but is a small town and the sports books know the pro gamblers. They know who's who. And they also know when money's coming in in an odd way. And 
there had been odd betting patterns already involving Arizona State. Just nobody picked up on it. But apparently word had gotten out on the Arizona State campus. Some of the other people involved in the scheme that were not from Tempe had had told some other people. And so basically you had people pouring into Las Vegas betting $9,999 because 10000 would generate a report that gets sent to the government on Arizona or on Washington to cover the spread. And so once these line makers saw this, they went back and, and looked at the patterns of the Arizona State point spreads from before, from the previous games, and they saw a similarly suspicious pattern and realized, okay, sums up. They called the Pac-10, they called Arizona State, they called the NCAA. They basically reported it. And why do they do that? Because it is crucial to their business also that this be seen as being on the up and up. The house doesn't want anybody to think that the house is doing anything here. So they obviously want to protect the integrity of the game as well because that's how they make their money. And why did I give you the history lesson of who cracked the Arizona State case? Well, think about this. That happened when you had really a non-connected world that very few people used the internet in 1994 relative to now. And you had some people who knew each other calling each other who were keeping tabs on this and said, okay, something weird is going on. Now, all this betting that is legal in all these states and you have the, the, you know, you can bet on your app, all of that stuff, there are algorithms tracking everything. All that data is being collected in real time. If there's a suspicious pattern, a red flag is going to pop up almost immediately. I'm not sure. Like in, in today's age, that Arizona State deal, that might get sniffed out the second game. It might get sniffed out the first game just because of the odd patterns. And and it's interesting because I, I don't gamble on sports. You know, you've heard me talk to Ari. He does. I have studied how gambling on sports works for a long time because it, it's important to be informed about how that works just for my job. I also think point spread data is really interesting data. I think, I think it's very helpful. I, I think knowing how Vegas feels about games matters. I think we should let Vegas rank the playoff teams. Although I know Ari tells me that they would just rank Alabama number one, no matter how many games they lost. So I, I do think it's it's important to to know all this stuff and, and to understand how it works. But I remember when I was younger and didn't understand as much, somebody had asked me, you know, how how come they don't just fix these college basketball games? And I, I'm with Ben. I think football is very difficult to fix. There's one one particular player in football that I think if you get him, you can you can probably control the money line, the point spread, and the total, maybe. But I think it's easier in basketball, but, but I always wondered, you know, why somebody doesn't just fix like a Tuesday night Winthrop college of Charleston game, because those players would be, I would think easier. You, you, you know, they don't, there's not a bunch of future NBA pros. There's not a lot of future money on the line for them. If they ever got caught, the, the risk seems lower. You know, how about, why don't you just fix that bet a gajillion dollars on it? When, and and I ran that by some some folks who who make lines, and they just laughed. They said, "No, nobody's going to take your action on that game if you show up trying to bet even ten thousand dollars on it. 
they're going to say, this is weird. Nobody ever bets this much on one of these games. And they're going to want to know why you want to bet so much on that game. And they, they just may refuse your action. And that makes perfect sense. And that, that's the sort of thing that, you know, you'd need a bigger event probably to fix if you're going to bet bigger amounts. So maybe, you know, a college football game is a, is a pretty big event. A power five on power five college football game is a big event. Will probably be watched by more than a million people on TV. You know, will will have a crowd of 60 to 100,000 people physically at the game. So that might be a big enough event. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, here, here's my theory. Here's my one person I think you could maybe get. But I, I, don't, you, I don't think you get this person in the NFL because I think this person has too much on the line. I actually think most NFL players, most uh, all NBA players, too much money on the line to really get this person, you know, get your hooks in. Now, maybe, maybe I guess that they have massive, massive debts, but most of them make so much money that it would be really hard to in the pros. And in the NFL this position, this person can't demonstrate a lack of ability at this position for even one game without losing their job. And so I don't, that's why I don't think they would ever do it. But in college, maybe if you could get a long snapper, you could maybe control the point spread, the total, and maybe some other, you know, maybe the money line. Probably the money line. I think the money, actually the money line might be the easiest thing. Why? Because no player on a football team can take points away from their own team and give points to the other team as quickly as a long snapper. You, you sail a punt snap out of the end zone. You've just given the other team two points in the ball. They were going to get the ball anyway, but you've now given them two points, the ball with fairly good field position because you got to kick from the 20. So, you're talking about that's that's going to be a swing right there. Let's say you're kicking a field goal and you sail it past the holder. Well, you've taken three points off the board for your team that would have been scored. And depending on how far that ball rolls, that's where the other team gets it. So you may like you you may have put them in field goal position or put them maybe two plays away from field goal range. So right there is probably six points. Now, you probably only get two bad snaps before you're gone, but that guy could really mess something up for a team if you really wanted to fix it. I'm not sure there's anybody else on a football field 
who has an, I mean, a quarterback, I guess, could just deliberately misfire on throws, could look bad, but quarterbacks, especially good ones, especially power five quarterbacks, they're looking at a potential pro career. There's money to be made for them. I just don't know that they're going to be as willing to do it. So I don't know with football if if that's where it would come. I, I would think probably basketball in college more likely to, to be the next one. Again, the salaries in the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, I find it very hard to believe that you're going to have your hooks in. Like with Calvin Ridley, I don't know what his situation is. I don't know if that's really the, the only bet he's ever placed, anything like that. But it is very hard to believe, given the incentives, that there's an amount of money that you could buy a player for to fix a game that would be worth it for the gambler. Because who would throw away like a second, you know, second contract NFL player? You're not, or 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 maybe a first contract NFL player who's about to go to their second contract. They're not going to throw that away. You know, that is generational wealth that they're not going to turn down for whatever it is you're offering because you're not offering generational wealth. So I will be curious and and I am, you know, we're going to hear more about this stuff. But I also think, just like I said with the Arizona State case, where it was people making the line who fit, who sniffed it out. There are now going to be so many more eyes on this stuff. And remember, there is so much money involved. So if you're the companies that are taking the action, you have state regulators to worry about in whatever state you're legal in. So you're going to be paying very close attention to any odd patterns. Uh, You also have a financial stake in this where you need those games to be on the up and up. Again, just like the leagues, the sports books need them to be fair and not fixed. So I, I think there may be some, some more attempts at this, but I think it's going to be even harder to do it than it was in the past, just because there are so many eyes on it now. There are so many different companies that have a financial stake in the game appearing to be on the up. And I mean, again, it is the perception of this that matters to the leagues. So you want to know why Calvin really got suspended for as long as he did and some other guy didn't? Because you mess with the NFL's money and they're going to react more harshly. So that's what happened. I think Ben's right. There there will be something. But again, I think it gets sniffed out pretty quickly if somebody tries it. Next question comes from Trevor. With Georgia winning the national championship, why have their portal acquisitions been so low to none thus far their transfer portal acquisitions and if you look at at the georgia bulldogs and you go to the transfer trackers you know you you go to the uh the the portal authority max olson at the athletic it's all georgia players going to another school it's not georgia player it's not some player coming to georgia and look georgia may spot recruit out of the portal following spring practice, if, if it's a can't-miss kind of guy. But I'm going to be Ari here for a second. I, I know you're used to hearing this from Ari, but I'll just do my best Ari impression. Have you seen George's recruiting classes in the last three years? They're not taking other people's cast-offs because 
they think the players they have are better than those players. Like that's why they're not just scooping dudes out of the portal. It's it's rare. Like Alabama taking Jamison Williams last year. That was a rare situation where there was an elite talent available in the why did Jamison Williams enter the transfer portal? Because of Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jackson Smith and Jigba, and, and maybe Mar- Marvin Harrison Jr. But but certainly Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave at Ohio State were the clear one and two receiver there. He's seen Jackson Smith and Jigby at practice. He knows what that guy is. He knows how great that dude can be. And he's like, you know what? I'm not sure how many balls I'm getting thrown here. But Alabama, which just lost Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith in the first round and doesn't necessarily have as much explosiveness coming back because they had John Mechie, who was really the only proven guy they had coming back. Well, Alabama's a good spot, but that's not going to be the norm. So that's why you look at, at George's action in the transfer portal. Receiver Jermaine Burton, he's gone to Alabama. I know there was some consternation about that. We had Seth Emerson on, our Georgia beat writer at The Athletic, talking about Jermaine Burton's move to Alabama. I, this may be a better for both parties kind of situation. I'm not sure Jermaine Burton was going to be a huge part of the offense at Georgia. I don't, I don't think he would have been the featured guy. Brock Bowers probably will be the featured target in Georgia's offense next year. So if Jermaine Burton wanted to be the number one pass catcher, maybe Georgia wasn't going to be the place for him. You know, JT Daniels, well, Stetson Bennett's going to be the starting quarterback next year. So it makes sense that JT Daniels would move on. Latavius Brini, he's going to Arkansas. He's going to get to play more. Uh, love C. Carroll. He's going to South Carolina. He's going to get to play more. Jalen Kimber. He's going to Florida. He's going to get to play more. Justin Robinson going to Mississippi State. He's going to get to play more. Amir Speed. He played at Georgia, but probably wasn't playing as much as he'd like. He's going to Mississippi State. He's going to get to play more. You know, he's going to get to play for for Mel Tucker, who I try to remember when Amir Speed was recruited, but Mel Tucker may have been the yeah. Mel Tucker was the DC at Georgia when Amir Speed was recruited. So. That's the thing. You you just got to kind of understand where everybody's at. And so Georgia is the type of place where you've already got what you want. You recruited him out of high school. And that's the part. I, I'm curious to see how this changes as the, the transfer portal turns, as NIL turns. But it does seem now there's a, a subset of schools that is going to be able to get who they want out of high school. Georgia is obviously one of those. Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama. Uh, maybe uh, Texas A&M, it certainly seems right now. USC may be that way under Lincoln Riley. I think Oklahoma would be in that group. That group is going to be able to recruit mainly from high school, build that the, they will, if we put it in pro terms, they would build through the draft. But now you're going to have a subset of teams that are, that are the Rams essentially that, that are going to build through free agency. Now uh, I would argue that the two best players on the Rams, Aaron Donald and Cooper cup, Drafted by the Rams, but they did fill in around them, not necessarily building through the draft. And in college, we'll see how well that philosophy works. There will be teams that do that. There will be teams that that are going to go half portal, half high school. They're going to uh, the the further down I think you go in the in the FBS, you're going to see more portal, especially until the extra eligibility guys run out, the ones that got that extra COVID year in 2020. So. I think there's going to be different classes of, of recruiting. And 
the ones that can recruit the best out of high school, as long as they're evaluating well, that's still the best way. And I bet it's still going to be the best way. And you're, you're seeing that now. You're, what you're seeing with Georgia, the fact that the, they've not taken a bunch out of the portal, even though they've lost to the portal, that is them saying, we feel like we have evaluated well, that the guys we have that are moving up into positions where they're going to play more and they're replacing that, that you know, the ultra elite players that were lost off the national championship team, that those guys are really good. We picked the right ones. And look, who else wanted those guys? Alabama, one of those guys, Clemson, one of those guys, Ohio state, one of those guys, everybody wanted those guys. So it makes sense. Now, if there is a noticeable dip in Georgia this year, perhaps there is a change in philosophy, but if they continue to be an elite team, I don't see why they would need to go into the portal. It's like, you know, with Clemson, we, we've gotten on them about not getting in the portal. And Dabo Sweeney actually said last week, hey, Clemson's going to pursue the transfer portal and not just for Hunter Johnson, who was already at Clemson before going to Northwestern and coming back to Clemson. That They're going to go try to find some guys in the portal that can help them. But if you already feel like you got the best guy at every position – or at least your version of the best guy, the best guy for, for your system, you're not looking in the portal. So that's why Georgia has not been that active. I, I wouldn't be shocked if after spring practice and, and Kirby Smart gets a chance to really evaluate who's where on his depth chart, that they look in the portal and say, is there anybody that we think can help us? And if there's somebody they think can provide depth, or maybe there's a spot where they feel like they're particularly weak, you know, they go and say, who's the best you know, this position in the transfer portal, let's take a look at them. I could see that. But do they need to do any wholesale roster flipping at Georgia? No, of course not. They've recruited really well. They just won the national title. They got a lot of players back who helped them win the national title. So it makes perfect sense that they've not been particularly active in the transfer portal. We'll be right back after these words. We'll go one more, and it's actually two questions. Uh, two different readers had different versions of the same question. We'll start with Edward. Edward asks, hi, Andy, this offseason has seen huge overhauls in Gainesville and Coral Gables. New coaches, bigger staffs, and lots of resources poured into each of the programs. Florida has always had SEC money, while Miami just spent more on its staff than many ever imagined, including, including me. Although I think Jane, uh, so although I think Mike Norvell is doing a good job at Florida State and the team is improving, it feels Florida State isn't as committed to the football program as much as their two rivals right now. In this new NIL era, should I feel like teams can fall behind incredibly quickly? Should I be concerned as a fan of the Knowles, or is this a knee-jerk reaction on my behalf? And then this next question comes from Steve. Andy, easy one for you, given your roots. Which, which of the three Florida teams becomes relevant quicker, Florida, Florida State, or Miami? All three are rebuilding with new coaches over the past couple of seasons, and the fall from national grace has been shocking for those of us who still live down here. Honestly, UCF has probably been the best team over the recent past. So that is a, a fair point, Steve. And so let's start with what Edward said. The, the amount of resources being poured into the teams in Gainesville and Coral Gables. The Florida one is not as shocking. That's been something that depending on who you've been listening to has you know, people have said that needed to happen. You know, Will Muschamp when, when he was Florida's coach would ask, Hey, why can't I have this? Why can't I? And then they'd be like, yeah, we don't need that here. Well, you did need that there. And Jim McElwain, some of the same thing. No, 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 no. Dan Mullen was told yes, more, but not 
as much as Billy Napier has been told yes in the last three months. And it's basically Florida waking up and realizing, oh, the program has fallen pretty far behind the SEC programs that aspire to win national championships. They don't, it's, it does not act like those programs act. And so Scott Strickland, the athletic director, has you know, put out the call, tried to raise some more money. And they're going to try to act like Georgia and Alabama and LSU and the other SEC programs that try to win national titles act in terms of how they spend, in terms of how they're organized. Now, will that work? I don't know. It's the price of admission, though. In, in the SEC, that's the price of admission. You have to, you know, Billy Napier said that they're hiring an army. You have to hire an army because Nick Saban already hired one, because Kirby Smith already hired one. Now Brian Kelly's hiring one. You know, you, you just have to. That, that is the price of admission. Texas, you know, Texas A&M is doing it. So in Florida's case, it's a lot of keeping up with the Joneses in its own league. In Miami's case, I was surprised. I, this is something that has been talked about in Miami, but no one has ever really said, okay, we're going to write these checks. We're going to spend like the teams at the top of the conference spent. Because they, they've just not spent like the top ACC teams have spent. They're spending like that now. You know, they said they're not, they're not going to get outspent in their own league, which is crazy because Clemson paid $8.5 million a year in salaries for assistant coaches last year. Uh, they're not paying as much because they lost Tony Elliott and Brent Venables, and those guys were, were coordinators making a ton. So Miami now is closer to the top of the league, which it was just kind of Clemson, North Carolina. And it was a big gap between Clemson and North Carolina, as far as the ACC spending on staff. Now, this is where I go to Steve's question. Who shows results faster? Well, Miami's got the quarterback in Tyler Van Dyke. I, I think that they can answer that question more authoritatively than either Florida or Florida state cam right now. Now, Florida has Anthony Richardson coming back. Jack Miller transferring from Ohio State. No telling how they're going to fit in Billy Napier's offense. We'll find out, I guess. Uh, Florida State has Jordan Travis coming back. A.J. Duffy just got there as a freshman. That I think they have very high hopes for A.J. Duffy eventually. But Tyler Van Dyke, of those quarterbacks, of the, of the you know, in the, what the Florida people call the big three, Tyler Van Dyke is probably the most proven commodity and the best commodity of, of the bunch. And then you add in they're in the Coastal. They're in the ACC Coastal where at one point seven teams won the Coastal in seven different years. You know, Florida State is in the Atlantic. I know Clemson had a down year last year. They're, they're still Clemson. Uh, Wake Forest has been very good. NC State is really talented and brings back quite a bit, even though they might have lost the number one pick in the draft. We'll see where Icky Aquino goes, but you know he's a, he's a top five type player. So... The road for Florida State and Florida is harder than the road for Miami. You know, Miami, you've got Pittsburgh. We'll see, you know, Kenny Pickett's gone. Keaton's Lovis comes in. New offensive coordinator. We'll see. You know, North Carolina, they were supposed to be really good last year. They weren't, but they've recruited well. Their roster might be the best in the Coastal. We'll see. But Miami's roster is pretty good, too. You know, that's that's the other thing. In terms of roster talent, of these three that we're talking about in Florida, Miami might have the most talented roster right right now. 
You know, I, I think Billy Napier and, and Mike Norvell are working very hard to change that. But Miami might might have the edge at this very moment. So I, I think they have the chance to move up the fastest because Florida's sitting there dealing with Georgia in its own division right now. And, you know, look, when, when Oklahoma and Texas show up, I would think the SEC ditches divisions. They go to the pod system or, you know, they're play, you're playing three permanent opponents every year and just rotating. But Georgia's going to be a permanent opponent too. So Florida's going to have to deal with Georgia no matter what. You know, Florida State's going to have to deal with Florida. If Florida gets any better, Florida State's got to deal with them every year too. Florida State's got to deal with Clemson. I, d- I don't think the Clemson thing, you know, I, this is where Ari and I diverge a little bit. He thinks the Clemson downturn is something more systemic and long-term. I don't know if it is. I, I, I need to see it for a little longer before I start to believe that. I think, I think if Cade Klubnick is as good as they think he could be, he could come in and, and solve a lot of their problems pretty quickly. And suddenly they're, you know, back, back among the best of the best. That's what Florida State's up against. Miami's not up against that. They got to play Florida State, but it's not a division game. So until the ACC ditches divisions, which they should have just never brought them back after 2020, uh, Miami has the easier path. So they feel like the one that will will see the results, the fruit of, of that new investment most quickly. I think Florida, you might see it eventually, but it's going to be a harder climb just because they got to deal with Georgia every year. They got to play LSU every year. They're in the same league as Alabama and AM. It, it, it's a more difficult climb. Miami and Florida State's climb, not as difficult, but Miami's is not as difficult as Florida State's. And Mario Cristobal is going to bring in talent. We know he is. And they already have the most important piece, and that's the quarterback. Now, I don't know how long they have. If you read my, my Dear Andy column from last week in The Athletic, I was writing about quarterbacks who could be in the draft class of 2023 that might excite NFL people, and obviously C.J. Stroud from Ohio State. Bryce Young from Alabama, but Tyler Van Dyke might be right up there. And I realize, you know, for Miami fan, you're like, "Oh, come on!" We he has one great half of a season for us, and now you're you're already predicting he's going to leave. But no, he he's going to be three years out of high school. If he has a great year this year, he's six four two twenty five, and he's been good pretty much since he set foot on the field. So I I don't know how long you're going to get to have somebody like that. So if you're Mario Cristobal, put some pieces around him as quickly as possible and enjoy the ride. Because you might get a really good year and, and could have a very special season this year with, with Tyler Van Dyke. So, as for the Florida State question from Edward, I do feel like you can fall behind, but I also feel like in this era you can bounce back quickly. So, Florida State has been trying the the recruiting situation. You know, I'm the one who said, "Oh, they've they've got the number one overall recruit committed, and and he stayed committed." Well, then Travis Hunter went to Jackson State, so that that didn't quite work out as well as I thought it would. Because I, I really thought that Norvell and company had managed to lock him down. And and look, every public facing statement he had made for a year and a half had had, had suggested the same thing. But he decided to go play for Dion at Jackson State. Now it's you know, did the Seminoles get it right with AJ Duffy? And I guess we're going to find out. But that roster has to get better. I, I remember being at the spring game last year, and Jermaine Johnson is there. And and you know, I had seen Jermaine Johnson on the last chance. You had seen him at Georgia. I'd never seen him up close in person. First rep during warmups, he jacks up an offensive tackle, and you're like, okay, he's the best player on this roster, which tells me something about Florida State. And it tells me something about Georgia. And 
it didn't say much, you know, it didn't speak well for Florida State for the roster that, that Mike Norvell inherited. And look, we we've been over what happened at the end of Jimbo Fisher's tenure, what a disaster Willie Taggart's tenure was. So obviously Mike Norvell has work cut out for him. But yes, he is going to have to work that much harder now that he's dealing with Billy Napier and Mario Cristobal. And he's going to need help. He can't. The thing is, Billy Napier wouldn't have taken the Florida job if Florida had not said, we are going to give you this infrastructure. Mario Cristobal, absolutely, as much as this is my alma mater and coming home, he wasn't taking the Miami job unless they said, we are giving you this infrastructure. You, you, you will have all this at your disposal because he had a good setup at Oregon. They were giving him what he needed. He had a good roster. He had a roster to win the league. You know That, that roster he had would have been good enough to win the league if everything broke right in 2022. So that's the thing that Florida State's got to compete with now is both of those other schools in the big three in Florida have said, we are in. We are pushing our chips in. We're all in. And, you know, if you're Florida State, you're going to have to raise more money. You're going to have to hire more. It's If you would like to compete, that's just it. And it's the same realization that Florida and Miami came to. It, it really is. And that's the cost of doing business right now. They're just going to have to figure it out. And, oh, by the way, to, to piggyback on what Steve said, UCF isn't playing around either. Now, they don't have the kind of resources that these other ones have, but – they, they play an exciting brand of football. Gus Malzahn seems to be enjoying himself a lot more than he was enjoying himself at Auburn. And they, if they work well in the transfer portal, identify the right kind of bounce back type guys, they can be really good. And they're going to try to recruit guys that, that are capable of playing at Florida and Florida state and Miami and be like, look, you can come here and accomplish all your goals. And I don't know. I mean, they're, they're building that that lazy river that's going to run around the whole athletic complex, which I think is going to be the greatest recruiting advantage in the history of the world. Maybe it's enough. Maybe it is. I still think the guys are probably going to go to the, the SEC or the ACC. But we'll see. They're going to the Big 12. So maybe that changes. But yes, right now, if I had to handicap it, which of the, the big three in Florida will see the results they want the soonest? I think Miami's in the best position to do it, but that's more because of the circumstances surrounding Miami and the circumstances surrounding Florida and Florida state. I I think Miami has the best set of circumstances and Mario Cristobal just kind of pushes that over the top. So we will see, but it is going to be a very fascinating next few years in sunshine state because it got really real in recruiting real fast. Guys, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for always asking such great questions. I love answering them. Love seeing what you guys want to know. We got pretty exciting next few weeks. Wednesday, Cincinnati head coach Luke Fickle. They're going to the Big 12. They just made the playoff. He just signed a new contract. Got a lot to unpack with Luke Fickle. We'll hear from him on Wednesday. Talk to you later.